Bonzi Wells was recently named head coach of Lemoyne Owen College in HBCU school in Memphis. As a player, Bonzi was a hard-nosed bucket that could score in all phases on offense. He lit it up at the mid-major program Ball State before ending up a trailblazer in 1998. Always part of contending teams, Bonzi was most often misunderstood as a player. It's something that stuck with Bonzi throughout his career, but taking a closer look, he was a team player that produced in winning systems. Now, as Penny points out, what people didn't see in Bonzi are what franchises recognize in upside and consistency. While the perception didn't meet the reality, Bonzi has found his lane to success in the game as a coach. So here we go. Two coaches in Memphis talking perspective and careers in the future of basketball. Penny and Bonzi Wells. It's the Two Cents Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including the One Cent Media channel on YouTube. We've got more good stuff coming with Penny, so stay tuned. Yo, what up? Here today with Bonzi Wells, the other half of the Let's Get Technical podcast. You are looking at Anthony Hardaway at My Two Cents podcast, and thank you for coming on today, Bonzi. Uh, just had Sheen on. You guys are legends in my mind. Really enjoyed the way you guys played the game. I've been following you guys' career all the way through, and uh, definitely appreciate you guys coming to do the My Two Cents podcast. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you having us, man. It's an honor meeting you, kicking it with you, talking with you. Well, not meeting you, you know, just on, yeah, on this level yeah, as sure. a head coach, you know, yeah. just kind of just seeing everything that you showed us, man. You're you're inspiration to me on the basketball coach as a on the basketball court and as a coach. Yeah, Everything you're doing it. right now is what we want to do as you know as a coach. We want to be the head of something like this. Like this is a major institution, a major facility, man. And we just been just man blown away ever since you showed us this facility yesterday. It's gonna happen for you, bro. You guys are high IQ guys that know the game, that have love for the game, and an institution. You know, maybe your own, you know, at Ball State, but an institution is going to take a chance because that's what they have to do because they know for for the stigma on us, just to let you know, is we're lazy. Uh, we make so much money that we really don't care about recruiting. They don't understand this generation. Our generation, we, like you and she, y'all love the game. I know that for sure. I know that y'all love it enough to be – the recruiting is going to be easy because once you put your heart into it, you're going all out. Yeah. And that's what they need to understand. So I'm, I'm pumping it up for Bonzi and she <laughs> – Going on to the next level and being head coaches at, at high major institutions for sure. Now let's go. A kid from Muncie, right? Yeah, Muncie, Indiana. All right, so <laughs> how many kids have come out of Muncie that made it to the league? Uh, really only me. We had a couple old school guys that played in, in the 60s that played um, back in the day that got some time. But a long tenure, I was probably the only one that really played and made a name for myself in the NBA. And it's a blessing to have that. That on my, to wear that, that that backpack on my back every yeah. day when I go through the city and people know who I am and they know what I've done. And, and that's why I coach and do what I do, just to inspire the next generation and let them know it's a guy from a small-ass town like Muncie, Indiana, can make it to the big time and be in the presence of guys like yourself, Penny Hardaway, and Hall of Fame-type players. So I'm just very thankful, man, and I just, man, I just feel blessed. Yeah, now I, I understand that as well because being from Memphis, we did have guys go before me, but it's that walk that you have to carry, you know, like that – like you said, a backpack, like, hey, man, I'm representing yep. Muncie or I'm representing Memphis. Now, your recruitment out of high school, was it crazy? Why did you Why did you go to Ball State? You know, honestly, my recruiting wasn't like that. I mean, I, I've never been to a basketball camp in my life. I never got recruited like that. I just really played two years of AAU, and I was just a hood hooper. You know, like uh -huh. Indiana basketball is life. You know, Indiana, if you can hoop in Indiana, you can play anywhere. And I just really played a lot of uh, – inner city tournaments, you know, we call them dust bowls and things like right. that where, you know, you have all the top <laughs> players from each city, 
we are meeting one city and you get your best players and we're going to see what it is. And yeah. I got my opportunity like that and scouts start seeing me in those type tournaments. Gotcha. And it was just in my ear and I didn't really know anything about it. I'm, four, I'm 15 or 16 years old playing against grown men. Right. And when it's like, oh, this kid can play, he can hold his home against grown men. And that's when the school started recruiting me a little bit. And, you know, I, Michigan was at me. IU was at me. Purdue was really at me. And I remember a funny story. I was talking to uh, one of the assistant coaches for Purdue. He told me, he was like, hey, we need you to come here, and we need you to be the next Glenn Robinson. Ah, no, <laughs> you, know? you can't do me like yeah. that. Even though, hey, shout out to Big Dog. <laughs> so Glenn Robinson, he's a god to me. He's one of the guys I really patterned my game after, mm-hmm. you know, trying to play the, his toughness, the way he went around the game. Yeah. He's a silent assassin. Serious. Like, you look at the numbers at the end of the game, he's going to have 30-plus, 10 boards, and he's going to have that win. So he was a guy. But So it kind of made me nervous, and I was – you know, going to Ball State, the reason I went to Ball State is because the coach at Ball State was somebody from Muncie, too. He was okay. a Muncie legend. We went to the same high school. We went to the ah. same college. So when he got the job at Ball State coming from Wisconsin, he, he told my dad this story. He said, I made two calls since I got the job. I called my wife to tell him I got the job, and I called you second to get Bonzi. That's major. <laughs> so that That's was, major love. Yeah, so that was so he. So when my dad heard that, he was like, hey, Bonzi, you got to go. And it, it made it easier for the family to be able to come see me play instead of going two hours away to, to um, Purdue. So... It was just a blessing, man. I was just thankful to get a scholarship because I didn't ever even think I was going to play basketball past high school. I honestly thought I was going to be a factory factory worker like my dad and just kind of just continue that trend. So I really thought that. So I was blessed. But God had a different line for you, my man. Yeah. So how far is Muncie to Ball State? I could walk to Ball State. No. Are you serious? (laughs) I could walk to Ball State if I really wanted to. It's probably about a a 20-minute walk from my house and probably a five-minute ride. Wow. So it was just a blessing that a Division I school – was inside my city, and my whole family got to see, um, get, get, got, got to see, got to see uh, me, me play some ball, and kind of go through my four year maturation process. Yeah. So, how what's the what's the pros and cons of staying at home and playing? Because you know, I stayed at home and played. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, you know, being from Muncie and staying at home and playing, what's the pros and cons of that? It's a good thing at first because you know you get the love. You know, everybody already love you. You know, they, they showing you love. They, you know, you can play the. You know, everybody would come to the games and, and show love, and it was cool. And everything was good for the four years. I mean, on and off the court. On Ball State's campus, I got love. And, and as you know, Memphis, University of Memphis is like a city inside of a yeah. city. Yeah. So that's how Ball State was. For me, it was a city inside of a city. So okay. when I went to Ball State's campus, it was a different type of love. And then I go home, and it was love. And I don't know if you felt this, but everything was good until the day I went pro. And things changed, you know, because the expectation levels change. Right. People start looking at you different. Like, when you're playing college and you're not getting paid anything, yep. you're the same level as everybody yeah, else. Yeah. But then once that crab get out that barrel, yeah. you know, so, and that's what it was for me because everybody in Muncie is kind of in – no disrespect to them. We kind of in a barrel a little bit, and nobody really gets out. Right. So when I got out and was able to get out and, and see the world and experience some stuff, yeah. people was kind of – you could hear the chirping and the hating a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that comes along with yeah, it. it comes along with it. But I knew I had an um, obligation to go back and show people that people like myself – same guys who grew up in these same streets, walk these, you know, hallways, can make it to the NBA just, you know, just through work and belief and prayer and all that good stuff. So I, that's why I go back. That's why I coach every single day. And in, in my alma mater, I go back to my alma mater and coach just to let them know, like, man, I don't care how far out there I went, I'm still home and rooted. Yeah. You know, I'm still rooted. You know, we're on the same level as that because I came back home, went back into my neighborhood, did the same thing. So, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. What about the the – the, the time that you felt like, okay, I got an opportunity. I know you was balling. Yeah. Like you said, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I, I feel like they're telling me I'm good enough. It's time to go. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I, I stayed four years, but I could have left 
my sophomore year. Let me tell you how hood and, and uneducated, not uneducated, but I just didn't really know much about the business. Right. I remember I was sitting in my office after my sophomore year. I averaged like 25 points, like 10 boards, led the nation in steals. And this is Mid-American Conference, so I'm – I knew I had some good stats, but, you know, you got the North Carolinas and the people out there yeah. just really got stats, and the people look at them differently. So I remember Coach called me in his office like, hey, I need you to come in here for a meeting. Didn't think nothing about it. So there was a guy in there, and he was the general manager for the Pacers. I'm thinking he's the manager that picks up the equipment and all this. I don't even know who this guy was. <laughs> and he was just talking to me. He was just like, Bonzi, you, you know, you're a hell of a player. You know, we don't know what pick we got yet, but if we whatever pick we get, we're going to pick you. So I'm just kind of looking like, man, this dude. Manager, I don't know who this dude is. I'm looking at right. my coach is over there cheesing like, like I'm over here like, coach, man, this dude ain't the. I'm going to talk to the president or somebody. I didn't know right, right. what it was, so I, I ended up staying, and they ended up getting picking Austin Crozier with like the 11th pick or something like that. And I was like, dang, I probably could have went. So I was kind of like, dang, I might have missed my moment. But I stayed right. two more years, broke all the records in the conference, um, big to, time. Went to the NCAA and. I remember getting a call from Marty Blake. I don't know if you remember Marty. Yeah, Blake. I remember Marty Blake. Marty Blake called me after my senior year, and it was it was scary, but I was like ready to hear the call. And he was like, "Hey, Bonzi, I'm just calling to invite you to the draft. You don't got to do none of the Chicago workouts and stuff. Just get ready to work out for some teams because you're a lottery pick." Wow. And that just you know, I'm, it floored me. You know, this is before the internet. You know, you couldn't pull up your mock draft stats. Right, you right, couldn't right. Do none of that stuff. So, you know, people in my neighborhood was telling me I was going pro. But these are people from my neighborhood. They right. never left my neighborhood. You don't know no pros, so I can't really take that. So when he called me, kind of put that stamp on, and I just remember, you know, coaching, hugging me, you know, the emotion of it, and went home and told my parents, and just got ready. You know, just got ready for the process. Man, you know, I'm sitting here thinking you had an opportunity to be lottery after your sophomore year. Yeah. And then you still was blessed enough and took care of your business two more years later, which doesn't really usually happen. Don't happen. When you miss your moment like that, usually yep. you miss it. You miss it, yep. You to still go lottery – Going two years later, that says a lot about what you did and who they thought you were and the way yeah. that you played the game and approached the game. Yeah. Sure. So draft day. <laughs> Can you talk to, talk about draft day a little bit? It was it was crazy. You know, my parents, you know, my dad was a factory worker his whole life, worked 30 years in a factory, blue-collar guy. My mother, you know, she worked in the hospital. So they they, they were just blue-collar workers, never really left left our, our town before. And the draft was in Vancouver, Canada. Oh. So I was, you know, we had to go get the, you know, the passports. We had to do the whole thing. So I was able to take my family out there. And I just remember, you know, just, you know, just going through the whole process. You know how it is going yeah. through the process. And you, you meet with the guys and everybody talking about what suit they wearing and all the stuff. <laughs> and, and I just remember coming down the escalator and getting on the bus and we was going over to the, to the draft. And I didn't really know my draft status. I didn't know who was going to draft me. I just heard I was going to get drafted lottery. Right. So I'm just sitting there, and I just remember sitting there with my parents. And, and you know, you experienced this. Like, you kind of get a, a heads up when it's your turn because the camera kind of, there'd be a. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, so, yeah. So <laughs> I, I was kind of sitting there when it, after the 10th pick hit, Paul Pierce went 10th. So I was kind of sitting there like, you know, me and Paul was the top shooting guards and the thing. So maybe I'm next. And I was just sitting there, and I just saw the cameraman going. And I just kind of, like, grabbed my, my friend's leg, like, ooh, this could be it. And then, you know, they called my name. And I just remember the chill that I felt. You know, I hugged my mother, hugged my father, my friends, and everybody was there. And it was just, like, relief. You know, yeah. it's like relief. Like, oh, like, I'm a, I hate to say it, I almost, like, felt like the biggest dump I've ever taken. Just right, like, right. oh, my goodness. Like, everything was just out of me. And I just felt good because I knew my life was about to change. And everybody around me, life was about to change. And it just felt good that I did that. I accomplished something. So, with coming out of Ball State, what were your expectations? Because, like you said, you had Paul Pierce. He went to Kansas. You had all these North Carolina players, these Duke players, these all these high major guys. You're coming out of Ball State. What were your expectations? You like when you got drafted, you knew where you were going. You like, what did you say to yourself uh, that summer before you actually went to camp? Well, 
I, I knew I could play because, you know, I, I got a chance to go to some of these Olympic trial things. I don't know if you, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got a chance to kind of kind of get the lay of the land a little bit and see what the guys could do. And once I mm -hmm. got to playing with those guys, I was saying to myself, like, oh, these guys are way overrated. You know, I could really play against these guys. because I, I grew up playing against grown men. You know, I'm playing against grown men that beat me up, made me tough. You know, I had to be tough. Mm -hmm. And when I got to playing with them guys, I was like, oh, they want to be sweet out here. They want to right. be finesse. I'm not on that. Right. I'm going at their head, and if they don't want it, I'm going through them. And I, I, I started pinpointing guys in my draft that was like that. And there wasn't no disrespect to them. Yeah. It was just like who I got to go after. These are guys that got – there was 10 guys that got drafted before me. So yeah. I'm like, I got to go at them. And I just remember I was thinking that until I got to my first day of practice. And I'm like, shit. Excuse me. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. You're good. So I'm, I'm like – this is the who's who of basketball in mm -hmm. this locker room. I mean, I walked into the first practice. I got traded. For, I got drafted by Detroit, and then I got tra tra traded to Portland. So I had a two-day period where I had – it was a grace period where I couldn't practice because it was a trade. You know how that mm -hmm. go. So I remember sitting there on the sideline, and this is our team. We had <laughs> Damon Stoudemire, Greg Anthony, and Gary Grant at our point guards. Mm -hmm. We had Jimmy Jackson, J.R. Ryder, and myself at the two. Mm -hmm. We had Walt Williams, Stacey Augman. And I think Carlos Rogers at the three. We had Rasheed Wallace, Brian Grant, and Jermaine O'Neal at the four. We had Sabonis. And we had all these. So we had so many Yeah, so guys. much talent, yeah. So I'm just sitting there on the sideline like, I'm never going to get off this bench. I'm saying myself. It's time for a two-cents timeout to talk about our good friends at BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, this includes everything from mental preparation, focus, anxiety, and stress. Well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not only be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist directly. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. It's at betterhelp.com reviews and visit betterhelp.com two cents. That's better H-E-L-P and join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health the help of an experienced professional. In fact, with so many people have been using BetterHelp, they're recruiting from additional therapists in all 50 states. And for fans of the Two Cent Podcast, we have a special offer. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash two cents. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash two cents. And, you know, just kind of just going through and I just remember going through a few practices and the guys was just starting, you know, you know that nod, a guy gave yeah. you like, oh, okay, young fella got some stuff. So yeah. I, I got a couple nods and it boosted my confidence yeah. up and a couple times then Damon and she, them start taking me out to dinner and started investing in me a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe they see something in me. And then my confidence started to grow. 
And once I realized I could play with them in practice, I knew the games were not going to be easy, but I would be able to hold my own or, or you know, be able to compete at a high level. Yeah, now was it an aha moment? Like, not an aha, but you get into a game and you're playing against, a, like, a not a superstar two-guard, yeah. but just a, a, a normal cat two-guard that nobody really knew of, didn't have this, this household name, but that just gave you the blues when you was in the league, if you can sure, remember. Man, I, I, I tell people the hardest person. I can't even say no name because anybody in the league is a name, but, you yeah. know, not, not the bigger. Yeah, the hardest to guard for me, and I tell people this all the time, Rip Hamilton, and no disrespect to Rip, Rip is a champion. He's a great player. He was so hard to guard, man, because you don't know if you remember that play they used to run. He's doing yes. figure eight. Yes, And he's just running around them screens. <laughs> and you got Ben Wallace and all them guys setting them screens and hitting him, and he just not – those guys who don't stop moving, those are the hard, hardest guys. Like, yeah. people ask me about Kobe, like, how was the guarding Kobe? You can kind of anticipate what Kobe's going to yeah. do a little bit. He's yeah. a one-on-one player. He uses athleticism he's, more. Yeah, yeah. but but but, Ray, but um, Rip, he's going to run. He's going to test your conditioning. And then, like, he had a motto that his offense got to be his best defense. Mm-hmm. So he got to wear a guy out on the offensive end. So on the defensive end, you know, so he can maybe take a break. But Rip Hamilton, for me, was that person that kind of, you know, it was tough to guard. Yeah, I had Reggie Miller. So yeah, that was you know exactly that was Rip times ten. Yeah. Not, I mean, as far as energy, Rip I'm, ran, but I'm Reggie in, really ran. I'm an Indiana guy, huge so, you know, fan. So, so I know. So, I remember who, I so and Rip was similar. Yeah. Rip was Rip did his thing. Rip was probably one of the best mid range players I ever seen, yeah. and and great in his own right. Yeah. He would say Reggie probably was a, a harder runner. They they ran so many screens for Reggie, it was crazy. So I had Reggie Miller, you had Rip Hamilton. So and I ended up I did play against Rip, and Rip was one of those guys that you had to run and chase. The hardest guys, definitely to uh, to guard for sure. Yeah. As far as the 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 jailblazers, <laughs> Monica, whatever the, the 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 stereotype they tried to put on the team. Yeah. Being a young cat from Muncie, how did that <laughs> how did that make you feel? Well, you know, I'm from Indiana, and Indiana is no disrespect, but it's semi they, they, racist town. You know, in racist state a little bit, and I know they just kind of put you in those type of bubbles, like you know, what I'm saying you a thug. Yeah. So I was so used to it. Like ah, so when I got out okay. to Portland, I get on a team of guys that feel like I grew up with them because they're all the kind of guys that I kicked with. I would kick with at home. These are my guys. So I didn't look at them like the way the papers and all the people mm-hmm. portrayed us. I'm like, they calling us jailblazers and thugs and all this stuff. And I'm looking at family men and people that really want to take care of their communities and, and be good dudes. Don't get me wrong. We're a party and turn up when we need to. But business and handling business and staying locked in, we had those type of guys. And I used to just get so mad that they – Dehumanize us a little bit. They act yeah. like we didn't have human problems. Like a guy might get pulled over for maybe not even knowing his license was suspended because he. Yeah. Then they look at oh this guy has millions of dollars. How the heck he don't know his license yeah. suspended? He's a he's a a hole. He's 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 bad for the team. Or you get a tech like us. We got technical fouls and they like how he's getting technical fouls. And we like yo we're trying to fight for our team. We want to win. We're passionate. Yeah. We're not getting technical fouls so we can like oh let's get a tech now so we can lose. Yeah. No, we tired of y'all cheating us. We tired of y'all handling us like yeah. we're not out here playing our hardest. And and if we look at y'all wrong y'all want to give us a technical foul or try to basically control us yeah and that's what you know and Rashid was the same way Rashid was like man we out here playing our our, our butts off and y'all always want to give us the short of the stick because y'all don't want people like us to win yeah we've totally felt that way like even when we played the Lakers we knew that we wasn't good for the mainstream to win a championship the Lakers would have been was was better as a whole for the league and yep. they felt like a team like us would have maybe gave the league a back black eye and we felt that so every time we played the Lakers, we knew what it was going to be towards the end. Yeah. Uh, a call or two go their way. Rest, <laughs> rest in peace, Cole. We knew Cole was going to get that call. <laughs> Cole was going to be in position to hit that shot. And yep. we just kind of waited for the ball to drop. People wouldn't say it, but I know you, you would think it because you know they didn't want a small market team, and especially a team like Portland, to win a championship. Yeah, I understand that too. Two different markets, L.A. versus Portland. Yeah. Huge market. Yeah. 
small market, even though it was a one-team town, very small market. Very small. But y- y'all was one of my favorite teams to watch because y'all just brought it. And uh, and in that series, like you said, like every time y'all played against the Lakers, I could just tell two Warriors going at it for sure. Yeah, I was telling this story to Rashid, uh, but when they talked about the Jailblazers, uh, pastor friend of my, well, pastor uh, Gary Faulkner in church one day, he brought up like ten high stacks of copying paper, like this. With it was blank, and he put like maybe ten in a row, and it just went up to almost like the top of that that glass, mm-hmm. and he pulled off two sheets of paper. And put them on the uh, on the desk and said, "Y'all want to read me off these two sheets of paper in my life and tell me who I am, but y'all don't. This is my life. Yeah, all yeah. these stacks. You only know a little bit. Yeah, but you're doing that to me and, and trying to put a a, a, a tag on me. Yep. That's not fair. Like it's I said, dehumanize me. Yep. But this is my life. If you knew what my life was all about, yeah, then you'd be you'd be celebrating me." Because you know where I came from. I'm you feel me? You. Yeah. You know where I came from. So that's to me, that's major that people don't really understand. And for these younger players that don't understand that side, you're in their lives now. We talk about players today. How are you handling the players in today's game versus how you play when you play? How are you, like you're coaching, how are you discussing with them without them getting offended that this is who you really have to be if you want to be successful? Yeah. Because you've already been through yeah. it. Yeah. And, and I go at them with straight aim. I mean, like, if anybody who know me, I'm just going to just tell them to and straight, and I hope they respect it. And I, if they feel some type of way, I'll pull them to the side and let them know I'm not disrespecting them. But you yeah. got to hear this stuff from somebody who's experienced it. Yeah. Like, for me, like, when I went pro, like, I was just told a story last night. I remember I went pro, and I remember my dad told me that I run the family now. I'm the head of the family because I'm about to experience some stuff that my family never experienced. I'm about to see some stuff that my family never seen. Right. I remember he told it to me. It's giving me chills right now saying it. Because he said that to me, and I was like, wow, that's real. That's a huge responsibility. But but to say that, when I was out there, I didn't have nobody to mentor me no more. My dad was my mentor. Now I'm out here trying to find another mentor, somebody who can really tell me something solid that I'm going to believe, that I'm going to go ahead and like, okay, I trust him, I'm going to listen to him. So I try to be that mentor for these kids now. But, like, listen, I done been through it all. Everything you can possibly go through on every level, I've been through it. So let me help you so you won't go through these pitfalls that I might have went through. Mm-hmm. I went through some stuff that I know somebody could have put me up on game that I know I didn't, wouldn't have had to go through, you know. Right. So that's why I do it. You know, I've been coaching four years, and we was 0-20 this past year. I live an hour and a half from my school. I drive there every day. That's major. But, and people Commitment. be like, why do you do it? I'm like, man, we don't got one person that got one letter from any school in this world, but I do it because I'm trying to save their life. You know, yeah. I, I understand that they need mentors in their life. They need people. They need to see successful people mm-hmm. so they can kind of put themselves in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, I'll like, be trying to let kids, you got to dream different. If you ain't dreaming, if you dream these same dreams as your homies that ain't got no ambition, dog, you're going to be with them. But you got you to gotta talk to some people to get your mindset differently. So that's what I do. And I try to get a rapport with the kids. Like, I talk to them in, a, I talk to them in 2K. Because a lot of these kids are zoning you out. So yeah. I start speaking to them in 2K. Like, hey, man. Your attributes off, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Get your get your stuff together. You're a minus three today. You, you, you know, reach you reaching them through how they how they think. That's yeah. the only way I could get them. Then once I started doing that, they coach they started perking up. Coach, what you say, coach? And, you know, and and, <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. And on, on top of, I make them every one of our players shake my hand every single day because I look at them in their eyes to see what type of day I'm gonna have. And you know how mm-hmm. that go. Yeah. You can look at a kid and see if you know if he's going through it or yep. whatever. So I look at him and ask him how you doing. You need anything? I mean, I have a line of 24 kids, JV and varsity, waiting to shake my hand because they know I'm going to say something to them. If they right. walk past me, I'll say, hey, man, what, does that what me and you do? We don't speak today? <laughs> yeah. Oh, coach, I'm sorry, man. We will. Are you yeah. good? Family good? I do it every single day. And that's just how I kind of broke through with my kids and let them know I care. Because yeah. you know that. Like, the kids will run through these walls for you if they, if they know you care about them. But if you just use them for whatever, they ain't gonna, they're going to give you a half effort. But if they know you care, they give you everything. And that's what I try to let the kids know through my actions and my voice that I care. 
You know? Yeah, no doubt. And that's big, man, because I had to go through that same thing being in middle school, AAU, high school. They're dreaming through us. Yeah. And you you helped turn that that vision from not being able to see things. Like you say, you're a kid from Muncie that didn't see people before you yeah. to turn it towards somebody that has. And then when they say, I got a physical presence. We didn't win a game, but I got a guy here who did make it to his dream that I can I can do whatever I want to do just yeah. because, just like how he did. Yeah. And that was the uh that was the amazing thing. And us coming back, I'm just so happy that she just coach in high school, your coach in high yeah. school, bringing that knowledge and understanding, not only for the on-the-court stuff, but the off-the-court yeah. is even more important, you yeah. know, just changing lives. And, and then, like I said, you put a smile on their face. If they're going through something, they know that you care. Yeah. I Before every practice, even at AAU high school, middle school, I shake everybody's hand and hug them. When the pro scouts come in here, they say one of the best things about your practice is you you identify with the kid and you you embrace them every day. I walk down the line and dap them, hug them, dap them, hug them. Obviously, with the COVID hitting, it became a little different. Yeah, a little different. But I tried to let the kids know everything's not. Every kid isn't going to be happy. Yep. <laughs> every kid isn't sure. going to get the playing time they yep. want. Yep. But you really, really care. And I know we touched on that. Um, going back to your NBA career, great career. You retired. You're back coaching now. Explain to us, like, what you're doing. Like, what's the name of the school? Uh, and, and actually, I know you talked about coaching, but, you know, what you got going? Well, you know, when I when, when I got done playing, actually, I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know if you went through the post-basketball, but you're kind of in a weird space. Yeah. You get through playing, you're kind of trying to figure out what's next. And, yep. you know, you do business stuff, and some of it works out, some of it don't. You know, business is going to be business. But when I got into the, the coaching, that's when I was like, okay, I feel like at home. Like, I had AAU programs and things, but – that was while I was playing. But post-basketball, I had to find what's next. And obviously, golf is my thing. You know, I love to golf. Golf changed my life. I mean, I really do love to golf. But once I got to coaching, it, it was cool. But then I feel like I was still missing something. And about a year and a half ago, you know, I was talking to Stephen Jackson, Matt Barnes, and I'm about doing podcast work. And I was like, man, I got so much inside me I want to just release. So mm-hmm. I'm begging Rashid for two years. Like, she, man, let's do it, man. Like, people want to hear from you. They want to hear from us, man. Like, you know, you was always kind of like a – you know, like an introvert a little bit, not really saying your thing. Like, man, people want to yeah. hear from you, man. You're like a cult hero to some people. And he was like, nah, Bonds, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I went to go see Matt and Stack in, in New York, and I watched how they worked. And you know us, we're used to making a physical buck. Like, yeah. we got to go perform and yeah. be who we are. I watched Matt and Stack film a show and be done, and that was considered work. Right. So you I, like, man, this is, <laughs> come on, bro. This, so I, we can do this. Yeah, so I called Sheet. I was like, listen, man, I know you're not going to probably say no. I was like, listen to me, bro. We have to do this. And I don't know if the lines were, the stars were aligned and everything. And he's like, Bonds, I do it. Set it up. And once he said that, I kind of just started making the calls and we just started doing it. And what, what we started doing, we just like, let's just film without no sponsors, without anything. Let's see if we love this. So we filmed like 40 episodes and just called our friends and just like, hey, would you come get on the show? And we just talked. And it was just so good. It got fun for us. It got yeah. good. And, you know, Rashid was just animated about it. Like, Bonds, who's next? I got this person. Bonds, right. I'm getting church made. I'm getting this and that. And I'm just like, whoa, I got to motivate Rashid Wallace. Let me keep this going. So I started doing the business of it, of just connecting the dots and trying to trying to find what platform that would be good for us. And we um, partnered with the Ball is Life platform because we were just like, that would be a great brand for us because they dip, they mess with the kids. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to be on. So I'm just so excited for this the future of the podcast, and I think this is something we're going to be in for a while, and we love it. Rashid loves it, and, man, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to do it. Yeah, just from, you know, I don't know who started it originally, but from Stack and Matt, you and she, uh, Q, and uh, Darius, yeah, yep. no you know, and No Chill, mm-hmm. and then my two since podcast hadn't even come out yet, I kind of put it on pause because I'm like, she, I'm an introvert. I was just chilling. Now I'm starting to... Like this week has got my my juices flowing again, yeah, but yeah. it's 
it's like life after basketball for us. It should be something that we love, yeah. you know, because we love the kids and we want to give back. So definitely uh, excited about everybody. And we're setting the tone for the guys that are going to come behind us. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What you guys are doing, you guys are doing a great – everybody's doing a great job. And that's, that's just sending a message to the people who were trying to label the jailblazers. Nah, man, we got more to give. Yep, yep. You know, yes, you know we, yes. we, we played ball. We were intense. We were very competitive and highly competitive. But then we also got a heart and we got a passion. Yes, sir for loving people and taking care of kids and doing things right. And um, we're here now. So, you know, with me and, and the city of Memphis, for you guys gracing our presence for coming back for the AI Classic. We, You know, you play here with the Grizzlies. Yes, love Definitely appreciate you coming back, man. Thank you for coming back to the yeah. kids, uh, hometown, uh, doing all that because I'm doing the exact same thing. And for the fans out there, man, you got you to gotta listen to, uh, to Bonzi and Sheed. You got to listen to them, man. The Let's Get Technical podcast Check them out. You're going to hear a lot of knowledge, a lot of love for the game, yeah. and uh, and keep rocking with them. But, man, thanks for coming to Memphis. Yes, sir, man. Thanks for having Appreciate me, my brother. Appreciate you being on the My Two Cents Podcast. Yes, sir. Peace. Yeah.